Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a praise tonight. Come on, don't you love Jesus? Come on, we can do better than that. This is for the Lord tonight. Come on, don't you love him? Telling you what, I um, I got on a plane uh, this morning and um, made my way all the way out here to California. And Pastor Eddie bribed me with burritos and tacos, and and uh, he was sending me pictures of it. And I said, "Okay, I'm coming, I'm coming." Uh, but I'm gonna tell you what, you can feel the presence of God in this room tonight, in this place tonight. And I was telling, um, don't you love Pastor Omar and his family? Can we just honor them? Let them know how much we love and appreciate them. Pastor Eddie, Pastor Roxanne, and all the leaders. Come on, let's celebrate all the leaders of this network. So beautiful. And they... They absolutely, they absolutely are God's gift to the body of Christ. I often say that pastors are God's gift to the church, but the church is God's gift to the world. So the next time somebody asks you, well, who do you think you are, God's gift to the world? Tell them, well, actually I do think I'm God's gift to the world. Turn to somebody and say, you're God's gift to the world. You're God's gift to the world. You really are. But I was telling uh, just Pastor Omar and Pastor... Mondo and Pastor Eddie before uh, service that of all the different networks that I've had just the, the opportunity to go and speak at, you can just sense the unity. I feel like I'm at a giant family reunion in this place. You can just sense the family of God. And that is, that is rare. Let me tell you, that is rare. And you can just sense a common heart and, and the, the lowliness and the meekness of Christ. Uh, in this place uh, tonight. And so uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to pray here uh, in just a moment. I am speaking tomorrow. I'm so honored to speak uh, tomorrow on, on parenting. On parenting. And they have a picture of my family. I think they'll, they'll put a picture of my family up. Are they up there? Can you see them? There's, let me come down. So we've got, we have uh, 17, 14, 12, 10, uh, 7, 5, and the the twins turned three uh, yesterday. I'm going to learn their names next, but that's their ages. And my wife is going to heaven no matter what. Give her a big God bless you. She's going to heaven. And I'm going to minister on this. This is a big part of my heart. And we, uh, we, we just came out with this. Uh, it's called Raising Parents. 
and uh, we only brought a few of them. Uh, you can pick it up on, on the way out if you want, but um, uh, we called it Raising Parents because that's what we're doing. We're, raise, we're not raising children to be children. We're raising a future dad. This is a future mom. This is a future pastor. This is a future leader. Come on, am I right about it? Like, we want to set our kids up for spiritual success. And, uh, and this is a big part of what I'm going to minister tomorrow is, is really prophesying destiny over your children. Uh, do you know that Jewish parents prophesy over their children every time they introduce them? Every time they introduce their children, they prophesy over them. They say, uh, this is Jimmy, our attorney. Jimmy's two years old. Yeah, this is Sally, our doctor. Sally's five years old. But what they do is they, they speak destiny over them. I do this with my children. I say, this is Nicholas. This is Pastor Nicholas. This is, this is, this is uh, my worship leader, Isabella. I prophesy that over them. Do you know how many people in this room have never received a prophetic word from their parent? And we, we, go, to our, we go to our kids and say, what do you want to be? Be whatever you want. I'm going to work hard so you can be whatever you want. But we don't go to God and say, God, let me be what I want. We go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? We say, Father, I want to be what you want me to be. But then we go to our kids and say, do what you want. Our kids need a parent that's going to get in the presence of God and say, God showed me a, a dream and a vision and a destiny for your life. That's what our kids are longing for. Not just some guidance counselor that doesn't know them directing them that didn't raise them you raise them you have the call of God for their life you have the prophetic voice for their life so I'm going to minister on that tomorrow you can tell I'm passionate about it and uh and and you can pick this book up the line. all the proceeds go to feed kids eight of them actually goes to feed eight kids and um Oh, one thing, um, I'll mention this real quick because I want to share what God laid on my heart. But uh, my wife and I, uh, we, we started to get teens, uh, teenagers and, you know, phones are a big deal. And the average age of kids getting a phone right now is eight years old. And uh, we realized there's nothing out there. There's some big brother stuff that kind of like, hey, I caught you doing this. But there's nothing that really teaches the kids how to use a cell phone in a safe and secure way. And so my wife and I invented this. It's called Cell Phone Permit. And uh, it's really America's uh, premier platform that teaches students how to use a cell phone in a safe and secure way before they get it. And it handles everything from cyberbullying, uh, how do I handle texting if I get an inappropriate picture? You know, how do I handle everything that goes on with phones? And this is this is changing kids' lives. We had an 11-year-old boy the other day saying, I'm hooked on porn. How do I tell my, mo how do I tell my mom? Uh, we had a 17-year-old girl said, I'm not ready for, for social media and TikTok. I don't want to be on it. Uh, just, just robbing them of their, of their life six, seven hours a day. And so uh, I only brought 20 of them, I think, or 15 of them, but you can pick it up on your way out uh, if you want. If not, it's online. But we just got approved to go on Shark Tank, so y'all pray for us about that, right? So that we can... Um, so our hearts to get this into every church and every school uh, in America uh, because the enemy's coming after our children and we need to be uh, we need to be uh, on, on, on the RA game when it comes to helping our kids navigate this tool uh, of phones and social media in this world. And come on, parents, are you right? How many, even within your church, you got challenges with it. And how do we handle it? And there's, 
there's nothing, you know, nobody's talking to me about it. And how do I do it? And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit more tomorrow about how we handle that. You know, how do we handle uh, cell phones? How do we handle discipline? How do we handle all these kind of things? I'm going to roll that out to you tomorrow uh, in, in our, uh, our, our first session. But um, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for Jesus. Everybody say, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Have your way in this place that our life would be forever changed. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, give the Lord praise one more time all over the house. I want to minister, um, I want to minister on, on this tonight, on the Lord and on prayer and uh, the Lord's doing something very special in my life. And uh, um, that's why I went and got these tissues because I can't hardly preach now without crying. I used to never weep, ever. And I was like, I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, and I find myself weeping now all the time. And uh, about a year ago, I've been pastoring. Pastor Eddie and I were talking today. I called myself a 20-year pastoral survivor. Uh, and I've been pastoring 20 years. We started our church uh, 20 years ago this November and God's blessed it God's hands been on it in all kinds of wonderful ways and I, I thank him for it and God's blessed us with wonderful people and a wonderful team and a wonderful staff but the Lord really began to deal with my heart um, and I felt like I was kicking a wall I felt like you know things were not just moving forward the way that um, I saw in my heart and you know God will, God does not graduate you to the next grade just because you're too old to be in the class. He, he will leave you in that class and, and he'll let you kick the wall. And, and he'll, he left the children of Israel in the desert 40 years because they wouldn't learn the lesson. He said, you didn't learn yet? Great, take another lap. You, you still haven't learned? Take another lap. God will wait on you. And uh, he... I just, I just felt like I wasn't moving forward the way he wanted me to move forward. And how you come out of the desert is correction. If you're not correctable, God will leave you in the desert. Until you, you learn to humble yourself and say, God, I need you to deal with me. And God really did that. And I've, I've basically gone through a year of, of just real deep repentance to the Lord and... Um, and the big part that he, he really began to deal with my heart uh, more than ever is how it relates to prayer. How it relates to prayer and the fear of God. Um, I think it's uh, 180-something times in the Bible it says that we should fear the Lord. Proverbs 1 and 7, you all know, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And... I was reading just in Psalms the other, the other month and the Lord laid this on my heart. And, um, the chapter is in um, Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4. It's the, it's the final words of David, who's one of my heroes in the faith. Um, the final words of David, and here it is in verse 3. It says, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. 
a morning without clouds. What David is saying, this is the final words of David. He says, a leader, a pastor that fears the Lord. People who serve under a pastor that fears the Lord, when they wake up, it's like waking up to a sky without clouds. To grass springing up after the rain. That there's something beautiful about following a leader, a mom and a dad, a pastor that fears Jesus. And it really came down to prayer. I had a prayer life, like many of you uh, would say you have a prayer life, but I didn't have a prayer life when I was getting up and spending two to three hours with Jesus every morning. Um, I had uh, really found myself busy. You know, in Isaiah, it says that you have exhausted yourself with the multiplicity of your ways. That you can literally run after so many things and build so many things and do so many things that you literally build a monster that consumes you. You can literally build a church on your own so much that it becomes a monster that eats you alive. And what I decided to do is to go back to the Lord and say, God, I'm gonna go back to you in prayer. You know, when we planned our church 20 years ago, we planted when church planting wasn't cool. There was no models, no data, no stats, no, no anything. I had no money. The church planting strategy was pray and trust God. Let me tell you what, that's the best church planting strategy you could ever have is to pray and trust the Lord. And I went in and uh, the Lord began to deal with me. And I was finding myself getting up at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, spending two, three hours with the Lord and he would meet with me. And it began to literally change my life more than ever before. If you don't get up and pray and spend two or three hours with the Lord in the morning, at least an hour with the Lord, you're going to have fears. You're going to be a person who lives with fear. Fear of not having enough money. Fear of not having enough this. Fear of not having enough that. And you will not have a fear of God. You're going to have a fear of man. And you're going to make decisions in your leadership based on the fear of man. And one of the things that God began to deal with me as he's walked me through this journey is he began to deal with my motives. Because the thing you cannot hide from God is your motives. What do you want and why do you want it? Is it about Jesus or are you still trying to prove something to somebody who didn't believe in you? And Jesus... Jesus is that person that comes in your home and goes through everything. He won't stay where you put him, right? So he goes through everything. And, and he literally, we literally gave God access to everything in our church, and we let him question everything. He's like, why do you do these visitor cards? Well, we, we do the visitor cards. He's like, why is that so important to you? I'm like, well, we do the visitor cards because we need to know how many visitors are coming. He's like, why do you need to know how many visitors are coming? And I didn't feel like doing the visitor cards was wrong. But what he was getting to is the motive. And I was like, well, we need to know how many visitors are coming because if we don't have enough visitors, then we won't have enough people in our new members class. And he's like, so what if you don't have enough people in your new members class? Well, God, we lose 20% of our congregation every year. And so if we don't grow by at least 40%, then we're going to decline every year, which we won't have enough resources. He's like, so it's, it's fear. So let's just, let's just go ahead and say that we're doing this out of fear. 
fear of not having enough resources. So your, your visitor cards are your resource or am I your resource? Who's your source? Because you can get so busy in the work of ministry that you go, oh God, you know I love you, God, you know this, you know that. And we run after, I am sick to death. I've, I've been to every church planting conference you can think. I've read all these books on church growth, church growth. I am sick to death on pe- what studies say. Well, studies say people won't stand and worship more than 17 minutes. If you have them stand more than 17 minutes, they'll leave your church. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Who, how do people know what visitors want? How do you know what visitors want? I, I think God loves worship. I think he loves I think there's more worship in heaven than preaching. I, you know what we need? We need to, well, well, the staff didn't have time to pray this week because we're building a donut wall. Okay, well, what do visitors want? I think visitors would rather have deliverance than donuts. I think they'd rather have miracles over muffins. I think they'd rather have a calling from God over coffee. I'm not against coffee and donuts and those things. I'm against it if we can't get with God because we have to do these things. And we find ourselves in no time missing the glory. And I'd go into green rooms. I was in a green room in Michigan at this, this, this retreat thing. And, and one of the guys came up to me and he's talking to me. He's telling me about all the churches in Minnesota. And he knew more about Minnesota than I knew. He, oh man, I remember Jesus people and God did this. And then there was this movement. And then in the seventies, it was this and the eighties, it was that. And then, oh man, there was this big church that happened. And I walked it away from it. And I told my wife, I said, may we never be, may it never be said of us that we were a move of God that he's no longer at. And it pierced my heart because all of us in this room can tell a story of a church or a movement where God was and he's no longer there. And it's this like haunting voice of like, God, may we never be, may reach never be, may it never be said of reach, may it never be said of our churches that that was once a move of God. May it never be said of our marriages. May it never be said of our children that, oh, Jimmy used to really love God. Man, he used to really pray. I remember as a kid, he used to really press in, but not anymore. May it never be said of us that we once walked with the Lord. The Lord told me in, in prayer a couple of weeks ago, he said, son, I give a lot of signs when, when I send my spirit. There's lots of signs when the Holy Spirit falls. It's, it, it's a rushing mighty wind. It, it, it's cloven tongues like as a fire. It's it's, it's the people rejoice, they celebrate. You, you can sense when the presence of God fills the room. He says, there will always be signs when I come. But I give no sign when I leave. And you will shake yourself like Samson. And you will not realize that the glory of the Lord has departed. You can look through the scriptures and look at churches and I watch people and, and, I, and I, watch, I watch the body of Christ and even when you read the word, you can find people that had the glory and they played around and they fooled around and they lost it 
and hardly no one in Scripture, when they lost the glory, ever got it back. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about his presence. How many of you love the presence of the Lord? Right? We all, we all love the presence of the Lord. The question is not, do we love his presence? The question is, does he enjoy yours? Can God trust your church with his presence? Do you want him this week and not next week? I know what it's like. I know about planning center. I know we get the sheets and we line it up and we plan every single minute of the day. Every second of the service is planned. How do you plan the, how do you plan the wind to the second? It, that kind of church, it, it, that kind of doing services like that build crowds. They do not build the church. Bishop Jake says, if you build a crowd and not a church, the crowd will turn into a mob and kill you. Where we run after his glory, where we're running after his presence. And so you have to ask yourself, how much time do I need to spend with Jesus to be like Jesus? Five minutes. Spending 15 minutes with Jesus a day is equivalent to me working out 15 minutes a day. I can't tell, and neither can anyone else. <laughs> so how many, how long do you need to spend with Jesus to be like Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. For me, my flesh is strong. For me, I need to spend close to two to three hours to be like Jesus. And when I don't spend that time with Jesus, guess who I'm not like? I'm not like Jesus. Well, who are you like? I'm like me. And me is pushy. And me is driven. And me lives with fears and anxieties and worries. And me will stress out every single person in my world. That's what me will do until I get with Jesus. And you know you're like Jesus when your wife begins to tell you you are like Jesus. When your husband begins to tell you, you are like Jesus. Do you know, how many of you want to reach your destiny? How many of you want your children to reach their destiny? Do you know what your destiny is? The Bible says, for those the Lord foreknew, he also predestined that they would be conformed into the image of his son. That your destiny is not to build some big ministry, some big church. We think that if we have stadiums filled with people, that that's the proof of God on our life. No, it's not. The world fills stadiums. People who hate God fill stadiums. You think because you have a lot of followers, that's the proof of God on your life? Listen to me, young people. Why do you follow people just because they have a lot of followers? This person's had a lot of plastic surgery. Let's listen to what they have to say. Why, why, do, we run, why do we run after that? Why do we spend five to seven hours a day on our phone when we know it poisons us? Why do we wake up and run to a well that poisons us when we have the Word of God and living water that we would not go to? 
You know what it is? It's that we fear man. We fear the rejection. We fear not having enough. Paul, Paul tells us, he says, if I preach the gospel to you, I may offend you, but would I rather offend God or offend you? I cannot please you and be his servant. And do you know why we stick to everything and why, well, we can't sing more than 15 minutes and, well, we can't do this or we shouldn't do that or, you know, well, don't, don't talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, because the Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. The Holy Spirit's not weird. The Holy Spirit is beautiful. The Holy Spirit is beautiful. To get in the presence of, of God and say, yeah, well, worship's went over 15 minutes. What do you do if worship goes over 15 minutes? What do you do? What are we going to do? Well, we're going to wait on God. We're just going to wait on the Lord. To get up in the morning and just spend two or three hours with the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Teaching your children to get up and wait on the Lord. And you go into the secret place. Matthew 6 says, 6, 6 says, for when you pray, go into your prayer closet, shut the door. And your father who is in secret. That's so beautiful. That means when you get in secret, there's already somebody in secret. The father lives in secret. If, if you post everything that God tells you, you weaken your relationship with him and the trust that he has with you. My friend, Pastor Eddie, if everything I told Eddie, he posted, it would weaken the relationship I have with Pastor Eddie. Do you know when you are really close to people is when they keep your secret. When they keep your secret, your father who is in secret. There are some things that God wants to tell you that you write in a journal that your children read about you when you die. Things that God wants to speak into your life in private that eliminate your fear of man and your fear of money that you never share with anybody. Your time with God in secret is the most valuable treasure in your life. It is more valuable, some says, than your eyesight. And the things that God shares with you, some of the things that God tells you are between you and Jesus. That's where Samson messed up. Samson messed up because he told Delilah, his secret. God. And she shaved his hair, which was his glory. And the Bible says that he got up and he shook himself and he did not realize that the spirit had departed. I'm telling you that you have these moments of God where God came in my life. I remember when God did it. I remember when he showed up. But if you do not consecrate yourself to spend two to three hours with the Lord, with him in the glory, in the presence of God, you will not realize that the Spirit of the Lord could have departed. 
and you will find yourself kicking the bricks learning to wait on him my sons came to me the other day my teenage sons God help me with teenagers and teenagers are homeless people living in your house and they came to me the other day and said um, hey we're ready to go let's go and I said I'm waiting on your mother and they said she's okay she, she'll drive you let's go I said, no, no, son. I said, listen to me. Most of your life, you will be waiting on a woman. Most of your life. This is a huge part of your life. And I said, the reason I'm waiting is because I'd rather go with her than without her because I love her even though I'm ready to go I have experienced life without her and so my love for her makes me wait some of you are ready to go you're ready to do certain things that you want to do, but God wants you to wait on him. And you can go do it, but you'll do it without him. Yeah. You want to be in that relationship, and God's like, wait on me. But I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to get married. I want to get married. I want to, I'm ready to get married. And God's like, I want you to wait on me. And you're going to get in a relationship. You're ready to go, but don't go without him. Well, when's he going to be ready? I don't know. They said, when is mommy going to be ready? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. We don't know when she'll be ready. We have ideas based on the past. How long she might take. But we don't know. And, and the reason why we're going to wait is because we love her. This is what it means to wait on the Lord. To get in his presence and say, God, I'm just going to wait on you. To get in his presence and, and just repent. You say, God, if there be anything in me, purify me, wash me, cleanse me, make me white as snow. I told my staff the other day, I said, if you don't pray, you should resign. If you, if you, if you are not going to get up and spend an hour, two hours with the Lord every day, then you should just resign because I can't manage your flesh. I don't want to deal. I don't, it's, it's, it literally is exhausting. Like nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants this role because managing your flesh, your flesh gets moody. Your flesh is selfish. Your flesh puts demands on how it has to be talked to. Your flesh has all these demands. This is all your flesh. So when you don't get up and spend time with the presence of the Lord, your flesh acts out on your spouse. 
No, you have to speak to me this way. You have to do it like this. If you don't do it like this, then I flounce, I pout, I slam doors, I withhold love, I give you the silent treatment. I will use manipulation and witchcraft to get what I want because this is the flesh. And your children are watching and you're literally raising little witches that learn manipulation and witchcraft at seven and 10 and 15. They learn to withhold love, be moody, silent treatment, this is all manipulation because you do not pray. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross. You have to crucify your flesh daily. Your flesh grows at night. That's why you put it to rest because it's tired. I have to rest. I have to strengthen it. So when it wakes up, I have to kill you now. You have to die again. That's why Paul says, I beat my flesh daily and make it my slave. At least after I preach to multitudes, I be a castaway. And if you don't do that, your flesh grows. And you think, well, I missed a day. It could take you three days to get back to the glory. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about his presence. I go into place and I listen to people, man, we're, we're growing, we're doing this, yeah, we're doing that, blah, 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 our next big thing, we're doing this, next big, and, and it's like there's no glory, there's no tears. There used to be tears that ran down their face. They, when, they, when they went into ministry, it used to be, God, I want, just want your presence. I just want your presence, now I want crowds. But what good are crowds without the glory? What good, what good is it to have a room filled with people and he's not there? We now, we build church for people and we invite him to come rather than building church for him and invite people to come. Maybe people come, maybe they don't, but he has to be there. He has to be there. I'll go into churches and I'll preach for them. Sometimes I'm like, how could you do the whole service and nobody even mentioned Jesus? No one even mentions him. And they get up and say, everything we've done was for you. Why are we doing this for people? We're supposed to be doing this for the Lord. We build the whole service for what people like. It's like Pastor Eddie's birthday. It's like, okay, this is Pastor Eddie's birthday. And we're going to throw a party. But we're going to do it. We're not going to care about what he likes. We're going to care about what the people like. So, you know, Pastor Eddie wants to celebrate in the morning, but most of the people won't come in the morning. So we're going to do it in the evening for the people, Pastor Eddie. And Pastor Eddie likes, uh, likes you know, pie. But, but most people don't eat pie statistically. So more people eat cake and want more people to come to the party. So we're going to do cake. And uh, he would rather us sing uh, this particular birthday song, but most of the people don't know that. So... For the people, we're going to sing this other. We build the whole service around people. It's not for the worship, is not for them. It's for the Lord. So who cares if it's over 15 minutes? It's not for them anyway. It's for Jesus. And we do it because we have a fear. And how you lose your fear 
of man is you gain your fear of God. And when you do not spend time with him in presence, in his presence, when you do not make it your priority to say, God, you are my first. God, forgive me for getting up and trying to do the work of ministry without spending time with you. And then everybody in the office, everybody has to deal with our flesh. And it can be wonderful. We can do things to build crowds. But where's the glory? Where's the presence of God? And what you'll do is you'll start customizing your own Christianity. And everybody has to deal with me a certain way. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is meek and lowly. I told my team, I want you to be like the Lord. I'm literally going to take an entire, I said, let's take an entire day every week and just minister to the Lord. Well, that means we, what are we going to, we're not going to be able to get stuff done. Nope. I guess not. Because it's his job to build the church. I don't know why we've taken his job from him. We've taken his job. And we are now trying to build the church. He said, I will build the church. I will build my church. We have become professional church builders. We've taken the job from Jesus. And we've said, no, Lord, we've got you down to the minute. You show up at this time. Don't take any longer than that. Do it just like this, and we'll make it work. As long as you can make it work within this window, you got 30 seconds. 30 seconds to heal people, and go. It's like we're, 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 trying, we're, trying to, we're, trying to, we're trying to manage the wind of the Holy Spirit. And you know what God will do? You do it. You do it. You have it. And you will not realize that the Spirit of the Lord has departed. This comes down with pastors and leaders and staff and moms and dads getting on their knees before Jesus and saying, God, show me in a dream or a vision that God's first language is not English or Spanish. God's first language is visions and dreams. That's why our kids don't understand us when we say, what is God saying to you? And they go, I don't hear God because they're listening for, for English. God's language is visions and dreams that God wants to speak to our families before they go to sleep, while they're sleeping. That do we make the time to get a word from God for every member of our team? That we begin to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. To be like Jesus should be our heart's desire. Should be our heart's desire. And when you don't have it, your fear grows. And we start to put all these demands on people. And I know what it's like because I've done it personally. I've done it. And I know what it's like for my team to spend all week doing things to please people rather than to please the Lord. And what we have is a form of godliness and we deny the power thereof and we end up in dryness. I don't want to be a dry church. I want the presence of God to fill this place. I want the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill the house where we do not trade the anointing for opportunities. How do you get an anointing? Listen to me, young people. You don't get an anointing because Pastor Omar laid hands on you. You don't get an anointing because Pastor Eddie prayed for you. 
or Pastor Mondo prayed for you. You don't, you don't just get it. It's not that easy. I wish it was. I'd, line, I'd force everybody to be touched before they walked out of our church. You know how you get an anointing? How many of you want an anointing? Do you know why you need an anointing? Because the anointing makes your words effective. Raise your hand if you're a parent. Say, God, give me an anointing to raise the children you've given me. You need an anointing to raise the child that God has given you because the anointing makes your words effective. When you are talking to your child and they're looking back at you like you are invisible. And the words are like bouncing off. And you're like, don't you hear what I'm saying to you? And you, how many parents know what I'm talking about? And it's like, it's not getting through. It's not working. And what you do is you get frustrated. And you start yelling and you get angry because your words are of no effect. This is what pastors do when the people don't listen. We get angry and we get frustrated because the words are like of no effect. The same way you need an anointing to talk to people, you need an anointing to talk to your child. Where God makes the words penetrate their hearts. And they go, Mom and Dad, I hear you. God's talking to me. This only comes with an anointing. And the anointing costs what it costs, and it does not go on sale. You have to pay the price. And the price of the anointing is number one, you develop a history with God. Not just a relationship, a history. I have a history. I told my kids the other day, I said, I cannot give you my oil. I cannot give you my history with Jesus. You have to develop a history with Jesus for yourself. You have to know him for yourself. I told you, if you only pray when things go wrong, prayer is your plan B. You're going to pray because something's wrong. How about we pray before anything goes wrong? How about we cover our kids in prayer? How about we pray for their spouses and pray for our future and pray over my 50s and my 60s and my 70s before I ever get there? You develop a history with God. Number two, you win tests in private when no one's watching. You win those battles. And number three, you go through things that try to kill you and destroy you. When they don't destroy you, God gives you an authority and an anointing in those areas of your life. Because when God heals you, he leaves the medicine inside of you to heal someone else. And if you want to know what you're called to heal, look at what he healed you of. That all of you should be walking, living, breathing pharmacies of God's grace and God's mercy to be able to speak life over broken people. This is the price of the oil. And parents pay the price now. Buy the oil now for your family. Pay the price for the oil now for the ministry. Somebody said, I want to do something great for Jesus. I said, just fall in love with Jesus. That's the greatest thing you could ever do. 
My son Nicholas, he's, he walked up to me on Father's Day just a couple weeks ago. First thing he said to me, Sunday morning, Father's Day, walks up to me and says, Happy Father's Day, I'm 5'10". <laughs> That's what he said to me. His dream is to be in my likeness and in my image. His dream is to be able to look me in the eye. It's his dream. The Bible says that your dream should be to be conformed into the image of Jesus, to be in his stature. To look him in the eye. And you know what you see when you look in his eyes? They're like flames of fire. And when you get closer to Jesus, it's an all-consuming fire. You know what I learned, Eddie, this year? The closer you get to Jesus, he does not add to your life. A lot of people think, if I get closer to Jesus, he's going to give me this, and then he'll give me that, and I'll start being to do this, and I'll start doing that, and I'll start. The closer you get to him, he does, he's not so interested in adding things as much as he is taking things away. Yeah. Oh, my God. He wants to take things that you are doing that he does not want you to do, that he is not into, that you signed up for. Martha. We got some Marthas in here who are busy, busy, busy. And you're trying to tell Jesus on Mary. Come on, Jesus. Mary's lazy. Mary just wants to sit at your feet. Mary just wants to... Busy, busy, busy Marthas. And God starts saying, you don't need that. This whole group of people... You don't need them in your life. This thing over here that you're running after that you think is important, you don't need that. This over here that you think is, is eating up your time, just get that out of your life. This over here that you, that you have so much of your own self-worth and security in, and it's really covering for your own fear of rejection, let's get rid of that. And, and then, well, what am I going to be left with? If we get rid of all these things in church, the donut walls and the muffin this and that, what, what are we going to be left with? Jesus. You're going to be left with Jesus. And again, I'm not attacking it. I'm not attacking. I like a donut. I'm going to Randy's Donuts tomorrow. That's what y'all cheer for. Y'all cheer for the. I know how y'all. I know. I, I'm saying it all has to be second to him. Second in, are we teaching our church on prayer? Or are we getting with our team and saying, hey, what's going on with your prayer life? Or are we just busy managing everybody's flesh? If we want the glory, and I'm almost done, if we want the glory, there's a price. And that price is the oil. And you know what it does, Pastor Eddie? When you stop worrying about the fear of man, ministry gets lighter. Yeah. It just gets lighter. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, 
okay, well, I guess we don't, that's not important. Am I right, Matt? Matt's on our team. He's been with me 10 years. Am I right? All of a sudden, just gets lighter. Doing ministry the other way destroys marriages. It exhausts your team. It will literally be a monster that consumes you. And people will start using the term burnout. See, the Holy Spirit starts the fire, but prayer is the wood that keeps the fire going. That's what prayer is. And when people stop praying, the fire goes out. And they say, I'm burnt out. You burn out because you stop praying. You burn out because you let the fire go out. And you once burned with a passion and tears ran down your face. And now we live in a fence. You have to know how to handle a fence. You have to learn to flush your heart. I refuse to be an old bitter man. They don't call it bitter young men. They call it bitter old men. Because time has a way of making you bitter. If you don't learn to flush your heart and give it to God. Pastoring is being in God's foster care. You are a foster parent. People come and you have to love them with all of your heart. And you don't know when they're going to leave. And you cannot become too hurt or bitter that you refuse to love the next child that God sends you. So if you want to be in ministry for any length of time, if you want to survive for any length of time, this is the price of the oil. And I've been to church conferences, I've been to church planning conferences, and the band can come up and play behind me. I've been to it. And, I, and, I, and I, I've taught church, church growth. You know, hey, here's, here's a draw. Here's a, we can do this as a draw and that. Draw. How about the Holy Spirit's a draw? How about Jesus is a draw? And how about we create time for his presence? And I had to meet with our church, you know, the other week. And I talked to him and I said, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know how we do this. And I don't know how we plan that. But I think it's important that if we want the Holy Spirit to move, we've got to create room for the Holy Spirit. We've got to build the service for him. And then invite people to come. Rather than everything we do is for people. And it doesn't matter if Jesus shows up or not. I don't know about you, but I want the wind of the Holy Spirit. I want him to whisper in my ear, Pastor Omar. I want to be close enough to him that I can hear his voice. That's what I want. And it requires a closeness. If, if you're like, I feel like God's distant from me. Distant. Come here, Pastor Eddie. Come here. Come here, Pastor Eddie. How many of you heard what I told Pastor Eddie? Did you hear Pastor Eddie? Was it from my heart? Yes. 
Do you know why Pastor Eddie heard what I said and you didn't? Because he was close. It's not that God doesn't want to speak to you. It's that God is not going to scream above the doubt and confusion and gossip and fear. God, God, Pastor Eddie, is not, he's not going to have a shouting match with what's going on in your life. Thank you, Pastor Eddie. He's not going to scream above all these things. The, the Bible says he wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in the still, small. God is looking for lovers who will hear the whispers. The whispers. He just wants you. All he's looking for is for people who just want all of him. How much of you does he want? all of it how much time should I give him all of it well how do I do that and take my kid to play football you take Jesus with you to play football how do I do that and go to work you take Jesus to work with you and your co-workers will start to like you because now you're like Jesus and not like you People, people will fall in love with Jesus when you're like Jesus. And so you say, God, let me talk like you. Let me walk like you. Let me behave like you. I found myself now, Pastor Eddie, like even going to certain movies. My kids wanted to go see this movie the other day. My older, my oldest three, and they're like, Dad, come watch this movie with us. And I'm like, I'm not going to see it. I'm not against the movie. I think it's a fine movie. I'm just telling you with me. The closer you get to him, you become, you, you become very specific with what he wants to do and doesn't want to do. And you start to go, you know, when I watch that or I go to bed with that, it just affects my time with him in the morning. I'm not putting it on you. I'm not saying anything wrong with it. But just with me, I want that. I want to feel his presence in the morning. I want to feel the glory. I don't want to, I don't want to pastor with fear. I don't want to parent with fear. I don't want to have any fear of running out or fear of losing people or fear of recession or fear of inflation or fear of the economy. I want to live in peace. Do you know what God gives you when you have a fear of him? You know the greatest blessing? that he gives you when you fear God is sleep. The Bible says he giveth to his beloved rest. For everybody in here that cannot sleep at night and you're taking pills to sleep, I promise you you will sleep when Jesus becomes your dream. When you say, all I want, I'm not after some big church. I'm not after the fear of, do you know how many of us live with this fear of rejection? I'm scared people won't like me or people come to my church, they won't like me and I got to be this certain way or act a certain way or, or maybe those visitors didn't like, we live with this fear of rejection. 
they don't appreciate my ministry. They don't recognize this on my life. They don't see it. I had somebody come in the other day and they said, I don't think you recognize the anointing on my life. I said, I probably don't. <laughs> and probably never will because I'm not looking for your gift. Um, and I was like, what do you mean your gift? Like who, who gave it to you? Yeah. God's not impressed with your gift. He gave it to you. He's impressed with your heart. And these are things that we know as pastors. But I'm the first one to raise my hand and say, I have been guilty. I know what it's like to build a church of thousands of people, multiple campuses, do things that are so amazingly cool and fun and do all kinds of great things. And we can have cotton candy and petting zoos and all these kind of wonderful things that the world can replace. If we fail to do petting zoos, the world can do it. If we fail to give cotton candy, the world can do it. If we fail to give bounce houses, the world can do it. But if we fail to prophesy over children, if we fail to teach them Jesus, if we fail to see the next generation filled with the Holy Spirit, the world will not replace it. So my, my heart for all of you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, go back to the secret place. Go back for the glory. These young people, they are not impressed with your lights. I got rid of all the lights the other day and haze. I was choking on the haze. And then I was sitting on the front row. It was 8.15 in the morning. First service, 8.15. It was 8.15 in the morning, and I was worshiping, and this light, this big, like, $20,000 light is in my eyes. In my eye. And I'm like, what is... And and I'm looking down, and I'm I'm trying to worship like this at 8.15 in the morning. And I thought, where do you go on earth at 8.15 in the morning? Like spikes is going every at 8:15, and I went to the team. I said, "Why do we have all these lights?" They said, "The young people like it." So I went to the young people. I said, "Do y'all like these lights?" They said, "No, we thought y'all liked them." (laughs) We're all doing stuff to impress each other and not him. I'm not against the lights. I'm not against it. I'm not, I'm not here attacking light. Don't be like, God said we got to get rid of light. I'm not attacking the light. I'm just saying sometimes we do things. We focus on it. We think that if we get big lights that the church will grow. We think if we get these big things and it looks amazing that that's what people just want Jesus. People just want the presence of God. You don't have to have some big fancy building. Do you know how many buildings are empty in America? You don't need a big fancy building. You don't need big lights. You don't need big money. You don't need a big stage. You don't. All you need is Jesus. All you need is the Holy Spirit. All you need is the glory of God. It is enough. It's enough. It's enough. And this generation, stand with me, stand with me. This generation, this generation sees simplicity as authenticity. They're not impressed with it. What they want is Jesus. 
They just want a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. And I know what it's like as a pastor. 20 years. And I'm just being vulnerable with you. I know what it's like trying to raise eight children, trying to be a good husband. Song of Solomon talks about how I spent so much time tending to other people's vineyards that I neglected my own. Taking care of my own, I put on all this weight and my heart to get back in the gym and get healthier all came out of my heart for prayer. You're not a machine, you're just a person. God doesn't need you to be anything but what you've always been, which is his child. He just needs you to be his child. You're not an orphan. So many of us live with this orphan spirit and this fear. And I'm not, I'm not some cool person. I told my leaders the other day, I said, I'm not a cool, I don't know what cool, I look at my, I look at my kids, my, my oldest son, second, I was like, you guys just look cool. I never looked that cool in my life. I just never, I just never look cool. But I don't need to be cool. I just need Jesus. I don't need to be seen. I want Jesus to be seen. And I want to pray for anyone in here tonight who's like me and you're like, I've just, you're saved, you love the Lord, you're filled with the Holy Ghost, but you just got this fear and you live with this fear. Fear of how are we going to get there? How are we going to get that building? How is this going to happen? How is that going to happen? How are we going to do this? I don't know how we're going to do that. And well, we got to do this because if we don't do that, we're not going to have the money to do that. And I don't know about, and you just live with this pressure and this fear and your wife is dealing with it and your children. Some of you, your children have never met their parents, their parents without fear. You're a totally different person. Who would you be if you had no fear? What would you do if you had no fear? How much more beautiful your sleep would be if you lived without your fear of man and you lived solely for fear of God. This is what he wants for you. His heart's not for you to build some giant thing that eats you alive. His heart is for you to run to him and let him use you to change the world. And I want to pray for everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.